Hello and welcome to episode 104 of What Most People Think. And I know the theme tune is in hand. I'm telling you, it's, you know, I sound like uh, Matt Hancock now. Remember the glory days of Matt Hancock when he, when he reassured you about stuff and it wasn't reassuring at all? It, we, we are across this. We've all got our best people on it. It, it. I'm hoping for next week that the theme tune will be sorted out. How the fuck are you? How the fuck are you? I mean, we do see now with the vaccine chat, you know, like with the numbers slightly creeping up, the old, the old usual suspects are coming back out, aren't they? The lockdown lovers, they're kind of going, mm, I'm not liking the, these numbers, schools are going back soon. You can see them getting a little semi on for the idea of a little autumn lockdown. But hopefully we will avoid that. Um, and yeah, I, I just, you know, straight out of the gate at the top of the show, given that the the effect of vaccines on transmission doesn't seem to be that great. I'm wondering, what is the argument for vaccine passports anymore other than an act of coercion? You know, I mean, it's, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's morally right, but is that now the argument? Is People are now going, look, it's not really going to change whether or not people catch the disease much from each other, the virus, uh, but we just know that young people like nightclubs and we want them to get the fucking jab. So if, if just be honest, for once in this pandemic, it would really be good if the government treated people uh, like adults. Um, speaking about the virus, the vid, I, uh, I've been tested repeatedly for COVID and I haven't had it. But what I have had is a, a sort of bug that's come and gone for a while, then went away and then it came back and it was another one. Or was it? You know, you know this happens and basically... No one wants to fucking hear about man flu at the best of times. But post-COVID, I mean, there really is no bandwidth for this sort of thing. Um, and so, of course, I talk about it all the time. No one ever wants to hear how ill, tired, busy or, or what your fucking dreams were, generally. Um, but I went on Twitter and made the mistake of saying, you know, has anyone else been getting cold after cold and, uh, you know, like a medley of your four, sort of favourite pre-pandemic COVIDs, 1 through 18, my God, the shit that it unleashed. I just, it was just a funny little thing. Oh, that was it. I said it was like a Jive Bunny medley of colds from the past. I just thought, there you go, a little funny thing for the morning. Let's get that out there. And of course, got, well, I got a range of responses. One was people from the liberal left just presuming that I hadn't had the jab. Well, Jeff, you know, if you haven't had the jab, you know that might... Um, you know, that sort of sno- snooty fucking Victorian parent way that they don't realise that they have. Then I had people uh, just telling me what fantastic health that they're in. I'd like to, if you did that, thank you so much, because there's nothing better than when you're sort of, your immune system's struggling. There's just people reassuring you that they're, they're, they're tip top. Never have colds, me. Ah, oh, yeah, never had the jab, never had colds, don't wear face masks. Uh, basically, I'm a fucking android. So thank you for those people. It's, it's like if you've got an insomnia, isn't it? If you say, oh, I'm really having problems sleeping, and someone goes, oh, yeah, I, I never have that. Because right, what it is, basically, if they're suddenly scared by the idea of this, so they need to bat away uh, any inner doubt that they have by making your situation worse. But that's human beings for you. Um, this is what most people think. This is the podcast whereby I am lucky enough, you know, it does okay as a podcast. And what I'm lucky, and maybe the reason that I'm not uh, competing for the Champions League places, is that this is unlike a lot of other podcasts. One that is that is coming from me, a disgusting Tory voter, selfish, heartless, austerity-loving, murderous Tory voter, and a lead voter... Uh, no less, and and also the 
we don't have a fixed structure here. So sometimes, like last week, it's just me. If there's a bunch of subjects that I really want to spout off about, it would just be me. Sometimes, like today, we've got a brilliant guest, Fern Brady, who I'll tell you more about in a second. And then sometimes it'll be one of the, the friends of the show, you know, the Constantine Kissins of this world. I, I don't know why people pluralise that. You know, it's like your, uh, it's like your Alan Shearer's, you know, uh, Constantine, Andrew Doyle, Leo Curse, you know, the, the, the rare... Basically, any single comedian that's sort of roughly either contrarian or on the non-woke spectrum, they are uh, friends of the show. But today is one of those fantastic guest shows. It's Fern Brady. Uh, she's a Scottish comic. A lot of you will have heard of her. Uh, some of you will be hearing about her for the first time. She is, you know, in, in that great lineage of Scottish comics that just can, has a real grit about what she says. You know, she's really uncompromising. Uh, she very much doesn't fit into various moulds. You know, like in comedy, there are these little cliques that you have to be in. She doesn't really sit... Uh, inside of that and we had we had a good old chat you know like a very it's a very different kind of guest to what we've had before fern but so many subjects that she's got interesting things to say about you know as a woman uh diagnosed with with autism uh you know where she sits her unique take on feminism you know her experiences working as a stripper how she feels about scottish independence you're not gonna you're not going to have any other comic who's like Fern Brady. So that's why I wanted to uh, bring her to you today. Now, talking about the show, we, of course, have new patrons. The VIPs get their shout-out. Everyone who joins the Patreon gets a guaranteed shout-out. VIP patrons, you know, a bit of Q-jump action. Look, it's the economy, right? It's, you know, money talks, bullshit walks. Uh, <laughs> just alienated everybody else. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, the VIP patrons are Alex Dawes. Alex Dawes, you sound like a county cricketer, don't you? Was there somebody called Alex Dawes? Alex Dawes there, left-handed, played for Northampton. There was a while where he was being spoke about. He had one one year where he scored 10 hundreds and then the next season didn't really. They then started trying to bowl leg breaks and now he owns a, uh, uh, a Halfords. <laughs> he owns a cycle shop. And Dr. Gregory Carter. I mean, you just sound like... I don't know, you know, like in that sitcom that Matt LeBlanc of Joey and Friends is in, The Days of Our Lives? Is 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 Dr. Gregory Carter the, the kind of nemesis of Dr. Jake Ramore? I mean, that just sounds like an American daytime soap style. Yeah, Dr. Gregory Carter. Introducing Dr. Gregory Carter. I love the fact that you've put doctor there. I mean, we don't know what it's a doctor of. You mean, it just means that you've got a PhD. It might be in like fucking theme park management. Uh, speaking of which, I did uh, anyway. Look, I mean, I did the Patreon only episode this week. By the way, yeah, if you join up as a patron, there are loads and loads of benefits. We communicate quite a lot. Um, there is a patron only episode guaranteed once a month, right? Uh, you also get to have a say in how the show is run and give feedback. But one thing the patrons do do is they have a stake in the show. And we had a, a question a, a couple of weeks ago about the cuss count. People going, "Oh, he's a bit mature, Jeff. Move on, move on," and uh, we settled it. We settled it with a poll, and I think I mentioned this last week, but the, the cuss count is still here. And I, I, I'm glad because we, what we had was a bumper week last week. The solo shows are often um, higher. They index higher. We had two wankings, um, which is notable. One piss, one bollocks, and one bullshit. Uh, and that, that works out as 1.14 swears a minute, plus an innuendo. And uh, our esteemed David Domain, held in high regard in the podcast, Patreon community, uh, he notes that there were two bellends. Does that count as exotic swearing? Does it? I suppose if you'd have said bellendery, perhaps, you know, like we like those ones 
where people add a bit of a flourish. Shithousery is, is, a, is a particular favourite of mine currently. Um, so let's crack on with the show. Oh, by the way, just, just a couple of things. Is Did you see... That, well, just one thing, actually. Did you see the footage of the French? So you know they've already got the vaccination passports uh, in France. You know, liberty, egalité, uh, you can't come in here today. Um, it, so the French... I mean, I always wary about Twitter clips, right? You find a clip of something happening, you go and see, this is the French, you know. We think that these clips speak to a whole fucking nation. And the truth is, is that the vaccine, the vaccination passports did cause a spike in people registering to have their vaccines, right? So it did sort of work it on Macron's own terms. But there was this brilliant video of loads of French people that decided to sit uh, outside restaurants and eat <laughs> in the street because they can't stop them doing that. You know, so just they've all pitched up families, people of different ages, just having picnics right in front of the restaurants, as if to say, "Well, ha, sir, look at the business you're losing." Um, that is, it's hard to do a French accent, isn't it? I mean, I think that, I mean, obviously French men have got a reputation for being, you know, quite virile, but it's quite a feminine way of talking, isn't it? Oh, je voudrais, on I basically, I was going to do some French there, but I realised it wouldn't get past trickle or French. The trickle or French, the thing about French as a subject is I always wanted to learn the language, but the problem is the entry level it, that you do at school, you just end up sounding like a nosy bastard, don't you? Because you're always asking questions. Bonjour, quel âge as-tu? How old are you? Avez-vous un sir? You got this sister? It just all it just you just sound like a fucking weirdo. The way that they teach you French is for somebody who just walks up to people and goes, oh, hello, how are you feeling? How old are you? Uh, have you got a sister? <laughs> if you did that, you'd be fucking arrested. Uh, anyway, we've got a thank you to fuck you before we get into the interview. We, oh, by the way, there's a couple of sound issues uh, in this, and it's, it's my fault. I didn't have the, um, the gain. I had the gain up too high on the microphone. So any sound nerds, you will hear me topping out uh, from time to time, uh, and I apologise uh, for that. Yeah, well, I apologise to the patrons. Those of you, you know, and people who have bought tour tickets, and people that have bought the book, and but you know, it, the rest of you, seriously, man, this is fucking free. I mean, Jesus, what do you want from me? Uh, a free podcast, evidently. <laughs> uh, a thank you and a fuck you. So the thank you goes to. Jimmy Anderson, as I speak, I recorded this on Thursday, it'll probably go up Friday, but yesterday, Wednesday, at Headingley, Jimmy, well, the England team played just ridiculously well, bowled India out for like 78. But Raul Coley, there's something about the best batsmen in the world that they are just bellends, aren't they? I mean, if you look, even, you know, including Kevin Peterson, Steve Smith, uh, fucking War, Ricky Ponting, David Warner, Graham Smith. They just aggravate you. And I don't know if it's something about having to spend so long watching, you know, someone, somebody from the opposition be better. <laughs> you have to watch them for a long time be better. Do you know what I mean? It'd be like, you know, like a striker from the... Like if you're a Sunderland fan, just watching Alan Shearer, just scoring like again and again and again. Um, so Coley was pretty aggressive. Do you know doing that thing that sportsmen sometimes do where they overdo like the psych face, like fucking eyes all big? Because they kind of want the opposition to see that and feel emasculated. I'd imagine that's part of the psychology of it. Well, Raul Coley, uh, you know, a few days on from that awful test and you've got out again. You've got edge behind. You decided to bat and your team got... You know, bowled out for 78 and then England, as we think... I mean, look, fucking, what am I doing here? The cricket gods, please... 
Be merciful upon me, cricket gods. They're like, no, England will collapse and Coley will make a double hundred. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why. Who, who, who do the cricket gods sound like? Yes. They sound a bit like Ian McKellen. You shall not pass, little hobbit. Come here, little hobbit. <laughs> Come here. That was perfect. Come here, little hobbit. I mean, what the fuck was going on with Gandalf? Well, right. Big old tall wizard guy hanging around with all the fucking little hobbits. You know what I mean? That, that's, that, that, there's going to be some fucking me too's there. Uh, the, the Lord of the Rings me too. We'll find out why Schmeagel was was as upset as he was and dis- disturbed. Yes, Gandalf, Gandalf, was bad. Stupid, stupid. Oh. <laughs> I haven't done this. Have I ever done this impression on the um, podcast? Anyway, I'll do it now. He's, yeah, I used to do Gollum and Schmeagel. So Schmeagel, Schmeagel's the friendly one, isn't he? Schmeagel, yes, master. Let's get some fishes and potatoes. Taters, taters. Whereas Gollum is more no. You will eat whatever I say. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I had to stop. I mean, some of you are probably just freaked out. If I haven't done that impression before, I had to stop doing... That. I'm not saying like, because it's uncannily accurate. I'm just saying it's fucking weird. And I had to stop doing it to my son because I just realised I thought I was entertaining him. And I realised the reason he was staying frozen at the spot was because he was frozen at the spot. He's fucking terrified. Okay, the fuck you is I went to uh, Legoland uh, Monday and Tuesday this week with my son and my wife. And I've already had a pop about this on the uh, Patreon only, but I'm still angry about it. So what I thought I'd do is maybe could I do this in the style of, of Gollum? Gollum being angry about paying... <laughs> this is what Impressionists used to do. Imagine if Gollum was furious about paying fifteen ninety nine for pizza pasta. Uh, so, yeah. Yes, precious. Charging fifteen ninety nine for the shittest pizza you've ever had. Bollocks. Um, that was that was fairly immature. Okay, right, let's get into some more serious grown-up chat here with the brilliant comedian Fern Brady. <laughs> Right, making her debut on what most people think is the brilliant comedian Fern Brady. Fern, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, no, listen, you just did a a run at the fringe, right? You did how many? Yeah. How many days? About, I did eleven days, and then I realised when I was up there that everyone else was just coming up for five days. I did. I, I did I was one. Lazy. I did yeah, one. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that was that was about the right amount of time to do maybe between one and five shows, and then I was like. Uh, after a week, I was kind of ready to go home again. But it was really nice. Well, I, I mean, I must say, even even during doing one show, about halfway through, I was fed up with the fringe. You know, I was like, Ugh. yeah, just <laughs> that, that, that's how much I have a love hate relationship with the fringe. Even halfway through a single show, but it was great. I mean, how describe for us? Because I only did one show, and I certainly noticed it was a different kind of punter and stuff like that. What what were the main hmm. difference you noticed in this year's sort of diet fringe? I had uh, less Americans, I guess, and um, maybe a bit more Scottish people. I think people think I get an all Scottish crowd, but it's it's very mixed normally. So, yeah, less internationals, no wankers on the Royal Mail, none of the theatre people were there. Describe the um, wankers uh, for our listeners, the usual Royal Mail wankers, if they uh, wear them. Just like... Five star comedy at the Pleasants, like all those cunts and the land. I mean, but that would be that would be a quite a high ranking wanker. I mean, I was thinking more mm. like the 
the kind of improv students that will kind of do a roly poly. Ah, as well. <laughs> yeah, roll, just roll. the the problem is is in in my mind I I still experience the fringe as someone who's from Edinburgh with massive resentment. So it's really yeah. confusing going into town, hating everyone, then going to do your show and being part yeah. of the problem. And then um, a couple of other comics that I know were raving about the fringe last year like it was magical I think it was Garrett uh, Melrick and I here like loved it but mm. the problem is is I've never felt that good I just do the fringe because you have to do it kind of thing mm. Do you think um, that there is a, I mean, often, you know, I always get my listeners get annoyed with me bringing up class, but even though you came from Edinburgh, do you, have you got two levels of sort of resentment? On the one hand, it's that you're from Edinburgh, you're mm. used to thinking, look at all these wankers rocking up again. And then the other one is that imposter syndrome where I've just found that with pretty much all comics I've spoken to, working class comics find it harder to feel mm. comfortable at the Edinburgh Fringe. Why do you think that is? I'm from the rubbish bit just outside Edinburgh, um, so not even as good as Edinburgh. That's why I don't have an anglicised accent. Mm. But, um, yeah, it is definitely... Yeah, it's a very middle-class event, and it's really exclusionary. And um, even though I was from, like, 20 minutes outside Edinburgh, it it wouldn't even have occurred to my parents to take us through to the fringe. They would be annoyed at me for saying that, but it just wouldn't have occurred to them. And the only time I did go to the Fringe was I had a mate whose parents had been to uni and her dad was a social worker and took mm. me to two uh, shows with them. And at this, and I just, I remember we went to a show where a guy did all in Macbeth in the voice of um, uh, this, like Simpsons characters. And I just, it was just so far from like my frame of reference. Yeah. I thought, what is this? Um, like in terms of being, you know, a stand-up, you don't. There's this thing I've often discussed on this podcast in stand-up is there's some people who quite evidently wish to be liked when they're on stage. You know, that's part of their motive is that they want the audience to think that they're a good person for whatever that is. I want you, to be liked. You want to be liked, but I think that what strikes me is that you're willing to risk not being liked as well. <laughs> um, now, weird, but I think that, that that is sort of a purist approach to stand-up, you know, and um, I think that those tend to be the stand-ups that I tend to gravitate to. How well, I want, I want to be like I want to be like a mainstream comic. Like um, hmm. uh, I'm trying to think. If I say anyone, it's going to sound like I'm making a little dick. I'm being earnest, but unfortunately, the things that I want to talk about aren't going to be related. But like a lot of my audience are mental patients. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they'll be offended at me saying that because it's the truth. Yeah. Um, but what I would like to be more like is um, I really love uh, Finn Taylor's stuff because he's mm-hmm. really um, challenging people or um, or I like Phil Wang's stuff because he's, um, when I watch his stuff, I think, oh, I'm just overthinking stuff and not, I, I tend yeah, to he- second guess myself a lot. Yeah, he he sort of lets his inner clown come in out, and his and his clever bloke come out, and and, and often that's that's quite mm-hmm. a hard thing to reconcile. But when I said like in terms of being liked, I mean you have built an audience, you do very well at the fringe and stuff when you're touring. But it's just to say those things that w- might sometimes cause an intake of breath in the room. You know those those complicated yeah. those complicated emotions that that where you well, I mean I often think that usually when you say stuff like that. You're often saying things that you know for a fact loads of people think, but the thing of the comic 
he's having the balls to to just acknowledge it, right? Well, I get annoyed at the because coming from a religious family, I get wound up at the hypocrisy of people saying one thing and doing another, and there's a lot of that and. Uh, Catholicism, like everyone's mm. a dirty shagger, pretending not to be. Or, for example, whenever I do gigs in Scotland, Scotland's still um, progressive politically in some senses, but also mm. very um, uh, backwards in other senses. So, if you do abortion jokes in Scotland, people do an intake of breath. Which is stupid because statistically, like one in three women get them. So somebody's lying to me. Yeah. It's performative when they're doing that. So things like that annoy me. Um, or just con- countries where they haven't even you haven't even had to vote for the right to get abortions. So you've got the luxury of being offended at it because mm. nobody in Ireland uh, does does that mock offence stuff because they just had to have a vote on it. Yeah, it's all too real for them. I mean, is, is there this strange sort of tension in Scottish society at the moment whereby, as you mentioned, it's sort of got it because of the SNP and the sort of political way that the SNP mm. have lent, you know, they, they do seem very progressive on social issues. But as you say, does that really speak for the majority of Scotland? You know, when when the, the SNP's sort of take on, on trans issues or, you know, they're very... Very left-wing, it seems now. Well, traditionally, the SNP was more to the right, weren't they? They were yeah. against, um, uh, you know, they were against, like, gay rights and stuff, and they've sort of reinvented themselves. Hmm. That's the weird thing is um, when I was growing up, we thought the SNP were maniacs. Everyone was Labour, traditionally. Hmm. And even my best mate from home, I remember her texting me when... Um, something about Alex Salmond when we were at uni, like, oh, my God, tartan trousers for everyone. I, everyone's going to be drinking iron brew and eating shortbread. We would take the piss out of them because they were like, it was putting out this embarrassing image of what Scottish people thought of themselves. So it was mad how much things have changed. And I, I didn't, I wasn't interested in, didn't particularly care about Scottish independence until I moved to England and then my agent... Oh, this terrible agent who coaxed me into going on the Channel 4 News to talk about Scottish independence and because um, he said it would help me get on more panel shows. It was so stupid. I was like 25 or something at the time. So I went on and I got the most horrible abuse online and that was what turned me over to Scottish independence. Right, right. So you said you were pro-independence and loads of people. What kind of people were giving you shit? Well, it was all people who seemed to hate Scottish people. And it's like, if you love us, why do you want us kept Mm. in the union? It's interesting you perceive that. And obviously, as we get, you know, the longer we stay in comedy, we do realise that the social media reaction isn't, you know, but at the age of 25, I can imagine that had a big impact. It sounds like it it radicalised you a little bit. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But But then the Scottish independence people started, they were like getting really into it and then um, they were like really pleased with me and then I remember um, going to some family wedding where this side of the family that hadn't spoken to me for years were rushing up to me saying how excited they were that I'd went on the news to talk about Scottish independence and I was fucked off because I cared more about I was like you're not going to ask about me being on eight out of ten cats or something so I kind of don't care enough 
to make it like my life's cause. I just like winding people up, really. Do you, I mean, I suppose maybe one of the reasons people gravitated to you, because at the time, and I mentioned this to Mark Nelson as well, was that there was a real reticence among Scottish comics who had profile at that time on like all the Radio 4 shows to even say which way they were leaning. I don't know if you, you yeah. remember, they, they just wouldn't talk yeah. about it. Now, why, I've never had a straight answer or, or even come up with a theory. Why is that? Because, you you know, very similar comics were then willing to be very openly pro-Remain when it came to the Brexit debate. But for some reason, in the indie debate, it felt like there was some sort of agent giving the same advice. I mean, you obviously had a very different agent. But just no, saying, no, one was given, no one was given us advice. It's because why the wouldn't they admit it one way or the other? I mean, I got the impression that a lot of them were no to independence. They weren't in favour of Scottish independence, but they didn't want the shit from the other side. But have I got that way wrong? No, look at any Scottish comic, and there's a minuscule number of Scottish comics who are against independence. Look at their backgrounds. They went to private schools. Well, maybe in private schools they have a thing on the curriculum where they teach you in detail why Scottish independence is wrong. And mm. I'm just daft because I went to a bad school, so I don't know. But look at any Scottish journalist that's against independence, private school, over and over again. They come from very wealthy backgrounds. Mm. Hugo Rifkind, um, Fraser Nelson, all that lot. Calman was against independence. Mm. Um, I just from a very wealthy background. I would struggle to think of Scottish comics. All the sort of cool cultural figures in Scotland, Lemmy and people like that, were pro-independence. Mm. But I was shy about expressing it because the media bias at the time and the way they were portrayed was so horrible. There's not much confidence. It was hard to be confident about it, whereas I think there's more confidence in it now. Although, Jesus Christ, that comedian's giving lectures thing was brutal. I did not think that one through. I should have picked another topic. Yeah, so, so we did a record recently for a show that's coming up, and and and, and I think it's fair. So your, but I, I think that your perception of how it went was different. Oh, no, I hated it. No, I know that you definitely hated it. Because I didn't it. have enough time to prepare for it. No, but you, what you did was you actually did what was on the brief, <laughs> which was to create mm. a, a, an argument. And it did, because they asked me afterwards. They came to me on camera and said, have you changed your opinion at all, Jeff? And I did think... I have maybe changed my opinion on, not on <laughs> whether I want Scotland to leave the union, but whether or not there should be another referendum. Because the truth is, is that Brexit did materially change things. You know what I mean? It was the basis on which people voted no in 2014 it changed, right? Because it was mm. it, part of the deal was you're going to be in Europe. But one thing I do think is that, is that whether or not anyone has got the courage to make the argument, which is just... Yeah, we're going to be a bit poorer, but it will be better to be independent because, like, they never, Brexiteers never made that argument. You know, no one's, because I think independence is a noble thing in and of itself, and you can sell that idea. But there's this kind of uh, ongoing ruse whereby everyone tries to make out that there are, that there's no, like, it's a zero sum game. Like, yeah. do you, what do you it's think? It's the would, disingenuous tone in the media. And the bias, the, the, that's the thing, the whole thing annoys me. Mm. The debate around it annoys me because I feel like people aren't being honest about their reasons as to why they're against independence. Um, maybe they're not even being honest with themselves. Um, what what well, do you think people's reasons for being, I mean, when you say people, do you mean people in Scotland or in the political class? What, Which people? Well, I feel like... This isn't just to do with Scottish independence. 
it feels like people don't really interrogate where their beliefs are from. Um, like people that come from certain backgrounds just come with a set of beliefs from mm. their parents. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously you think that because you're from this background. So I'm just interested in spotting the patterns in it. Like, I'm a feminist, but can I honestly say that I would be one if I was a guy? Um, I don't know. A lot of it's just self-interest, isn't it? <laughs> what that's, is that's, that's so interesting. I've never, ever heard someone make that point. Would I be a feminist if I was a bloke? You know, the, the only thing I've come close to is that I was... And still, I'm loosely speaking a Christian, but only in the loosest social sense. Wait, of the were word. you with? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought you meant Christian, my old agent. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I wasn't with Christian. I am a Christian religiously, but 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 then Are I you thought you're Christian. Yeah, loosely, very loosely. Oh, but, what? I, but then I thought. If I'd have been born in Iran, I'd have been a Muslim, and you know, it's just yeah. admitting where where that comes from. So so. Just expand on that. So do you mean that you, if you were a bloke, you might have, you think you might have acted to preserve your privilege? I just think a, a, a lot of our beliefs are derived from uh, self-interest. And um, like, for example, there's a thing you see comics do a lot where they go, why is there not more of this in comedy? And then they're always referring to the category they're in. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I've done it myself. Yeah, it's really too, funny yeah. to see. Well, no, I mean, um, I, what I often thought was like like a comedian, say, for example, it's me, would basically go, look, there need to be more Jeff Norcott's. And, I, I mean, right-wing <laughs> comedian. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I, I, I've sort of, you know, you sort of uh, uh, allude to it. And often it has, like, you know, there's a solid basis to it. But you're right, you know, it's coming from a position of I, I want more. A lot of this stuff is about more power, isn't it? People tend to pipe up about certain things once it's not going to be too uncomfortable for them in their careers. So, for example, when there was com- comedy of the Me Too movement again, for like the third time. Wasn't that straight? Then, uh, wasn't that while BLM <laughs> was still happening as well? Oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've lost count of how many Me Too things we've had now. And... Um, and people were piping up about that. But then I mentioned a female bully in comedy and then people in the industry were saying, you shouldn't do that because you're burning bridges. So it seems like it's okay to point out injustice as long as it doesn't affect your career and isn't too uncomfortable for you. It's just things like that. There's, it's, um... well, we, well, we know in this industry, despite the, the kind of signal boosting that we've given in this job to to me too causes we all know of a comic who people widely believe very famous comic that is guilty of the worst kind of sexual assault right yeah yeah i mean like that is i mean i'm sorry to say this to listener we literally can't say it but the fact that no one has publicly you know particularly the people that spend most time talking about these things right now maybe it is tall poppy syndrome is the first person to name that person will get shut down but then Hannibal Burris mentioned Bill Cosby he was the first person to acknowledge that and look what happened there it's very hard sometimes to reconcile the principles of this industry with with the knowledge of of what happens you I mean it's interesting that you mentioned about the kind of feminist you are was that you never you know you quite you didn't seem to fit in that in a clique in comedy at all was that something you were conscious of or (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you go to all the lunches? That's um, something I've been interested in more and more because I've been right. I'm worried you'll think this is like a woke thing and there's a rash of people saying they have ADHD at the moment and I hate people conflating it with autism. But I got diagnosed with what they used to call Asperger's this year and I wasn't so like on you. But uh, got the official thing this year. And that's more of an autistic thing is um, a disadvantage of it is you tend to be a bit of a lone wolf, but the advantage of it is you can Mm. spot patterns and and see inconsistencies between what people say and what they do. And I've been learning about how, like, what they call neurotypical people operate. And um, uh, my therapist, (laughs) therapist, She's she's like a person that teaches you how uh, how to talk to. She teaches you how neurotypical people work. She's really cool. She said that normal people are really socially driven and the things that they say. So even if, for example, if I was to call out a comedian for being a rapist, a normal person would be like, they would try and think through the social consequences of that first mm. and. Um, or like she was explaining to me that a lot of regular people just say shit to fill a silence um, rather than saying anything that's to the point. Mm. Uh, I don't think I even answered your question there. Well, no, I mean, it's interesting that you get into this area because is there, we talk about neurodiversity. I mean, there's the way, again, there's the way it's sort of spoken about by lovies in, in a certain way. You know, we need... Neuro- neurodiversity, I feel, is a term because people are uncomfortable just saying autistic. Oh, no, I mean, but I think that there's, the, the, you know, the word has meaning. But mm. when, when people actually discuss stuff, there's I think at the moment there's this big pretense where people say we've got to talk more about depression, but then they don't say anything specific about depression. They just say, let's talk more about depression. And neurodiversity, I mean, I is it... Is there a difference being diagnosed as, as a woman? Because the thing with blokes, right, is a lot of what are called Asperger's type autistic symptoms. A lot of blokes sort of have some of that going on anyway. A lot of guys, well, the thing is, um, a lot of men that have it are, it's very easy to read that they have it. Yeah. Um, because women get socialized into covering it up more. Okay. So I'd been like learning for years loads of different like what you're supposed to say in different social situations. And I've been trying to like learn how to do small talk for years and years, but I would learn it in the way that people learn a language. Um, It's not intuitive for me. Um, Mm. But then I kept getting told I was so blunt and honest and brutal and stuff as if I was doing it intentionally, which was really annoying because I would love to switch it off. I would love to schmooze industry people, for example, Mm. Or not look disgusted when people hug and kiss me at gigs. Uh, <laughs> like it, it's it'd be great to Yeah, well it sounds yeah, I mean that is the weird thing, isn't it? What's described as divergent is actually sometimes just giving an honest uh, reaction to a thing, like the most honest reaction. And I suppose the good thing about stand-up is on stage you can absolutely say the honest thing and Oh and yeah, stand-up it works for you, really. That's the only job that it yeah. really is helpful in. I mean, small talk as well is it's very hard, isn't it, to pretend to give a fuck about other people, the minor details of other people's lives that you don't know. It is hard. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's particularly hard for you. I think it's hard for everybody. I mean, I get I literally get vertigo sometimes when I'm standing talking to somebody just from the effort that I'm putting into covering over the fact that I don't give a toss like I. 
It's not that I'm not. I'm very interested in people. I love having car journeys with comics where you have like, yeah, I don't know. It's like the best form of socialising for me. Um, but I mean, those so passing not, moments where you just have to meet somebody and you know it's a passing moment for both of you. Well, and- I'll give you an example. What I find difficult is that because I was my boyfriend often translates what people mean when they say certain things. So we were talking about it yesterday, and I said that. People had asked me if I was excited. I was doing this gig, and just before I went on stage, the boss of the brewery said, are you excited? And I went, no, because I was like, why would I be excited about being at work again? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, he said, from their perspective, it's exciting to go and perform in front of people um, so they would feel excited. So you have to like put yourself in their shoes. But then also people kept saying to me, have fun at the fringe the other week. And I thought, how could you say that to me? This is something that like consistently makes me lose weight every year because I can't yeah. eat from stress. Then when I get home, I have nightmares that I'm still at the fringe and I still have to go and do a show day after day. So how can you say to me, have fun at the fringe? And and Connor, my boyfriend was like, they 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 think that that's a fun thing to do. A lot of people think the fringe is a fun thing to do. So you have yeah. to just imagine that that's what they're thinking. But even after I say to people, I won't have fun in the fringe. It's something that I have to do every year. They would yeah. go, well, I'm sure it will be fun anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why are you saying this to me? Yeah, you hate yeah. me. Well, what they're doing there is they're literally begging you to meet them on the same <laughs> ground. They're like, please just allow me to say this little word thing. And can we go back to the social niceties? <laughs> That's mental. Okay, I hope you're enjoying the chat there with Fern. And again, apologies for the sound issues my end where I'm topping out. There's a new word that I've evidently learned. Um, well, I'm hyping. I normally use this bit of the show to hype stuff. Um, YouTube and Instagram, by the way, if, if, if things are tight for you financially, uh, if you just go on and give me a sub, give me a sub, man, on YouTube and just watch some of my clips, that's helpful to me. Uh, join me on Instagram. I've got a puppy. Did I mention this? Got a puppy, Anne-Marie. Uh, a lot of The name seems to have annoyed a lot of people. As was the fact that as a joke on Twitter, I said... Um, We've got a dog to help, you know, with the old Insta content. But at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. And if she, you know, if she doesn't start, if I don't see numbers on the board, she's out. Like, obviously, I don't fucking mean that. But I'll tell you something. If you want to get people lecturing you about everything, just get a fucking dog. People, When you say we got a puppy, people, where from? Was it a puppy farm? Uh, yeah, well, thank, glad that you think I'm a fucking scumbag, firstly. Uh, yeah, just play up to it. Go, yeah, yeah, it was, it was from a puppy farm. Actually... It was from uh, this family that live under a bridge. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, get uh, get on the old Insta. And obviously the tour now, I've noticed the sales are picking up there. The first date is 8th of September in Nottingham. That's nearly sold out. The next date, 9th of September, Bristol. That's also like 89% sold now. Uh, the following day in Barnstable, very much not sold out. You fucking Barnstable. Stop shagging your sisters. <laughs> Stop it. I mean, soon that'll be cancelable, wouldn't it? Regional racism, they'll call it. But, you know, some of it's based in truth. Stop shagging your sisters. Get yourself down to the Queen's Theatre. Uh, and then Exeter, 
the uh, the Northcott Theatre, Northcott or the Northcott. I mean, we sold a lot of tickets there, but it's a big room. I think I think it's like four fifty, and we sold like three thirty or something like that, which is decent going. Uh, so it'd be lovely to see you then. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm basically, I'm going further out west, aren't I? I just keep on going out there. Just keep on driving down that M5, Jeff. Keep keep, keep going there, and before you know it. You'll be thinking about your relatives and realising that some of them is right sexy. Uh, anyway, let's get back to the chat with Fern Brady. I mean, you you just have like a different way, I think, of coming at comedy. I mean, I wanted to ask this question because it's, it's in your Wikipedia, but it's not a salacious thing. But, you know, the period oh, you, work, you worked as a, as a stripper during college. I'm <laughs> interested... I'm interested in what that taught you about men, because I'm what hey, I want to know. me. But, but good or bad, like, did it make you see them as more pathetic or or, yes. or, or worse? What what did? Yeah. How did it affect you? Uh, everything you just said, and um, uh, radicalized me. And um, you can read about it in my forthcoming. Okay. you got a book coming out when's that coming out oh not till 2023 i mean obviously you, I, I don't want you to give the game away here but just broadly speaking it, it, was it a kind of sad level of pity that you had for men but like how would you characterize what that effect that had well the thing is the book isn't about stripping i've just done a, i'm gonna do a couple of chapters yeah, yeah, on yeah. that um uh, how do i summarize it well basically <sighs> People have these set ideas of how, of like stripping it. Was it empowering? Or did it make you hate men as if, um, as if stripping sort of falsely clouded my view and made me disillusioned as opposed mm. to making me see how they actually are? This is a space where they feel safe to treat women with contempt because they don't think that strippers are going to end up like they think that uh, the strippers exist in a vacuum and they're not going to go off and enter the world and um, be successful themselves. Because believe me, a lot of my stripper friends are very successful in their jobs mm. now and a lot of them were doing it so that they could do unpaid work uh, to work in creative jobs or one of them's a vet in America now. That was the most, the biggest thing we had in common was being very... Uh, fixated on doing whatever job we wanted to do no matter yeah. what um, I've never seen an accurate portrayal of strippers until the film Hustlers came out actually they are making more accurate stuff about strippers finally um, there was Hustlers and that film Zola those mm-hmm. are pretty accurate um Men make a real fool of themselves when they think women are less than. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you just saw men making an arse of themselves and it was interesting. I was terrible at the job because um, 90% of the job is a sales job and um, pretending you care about what men say and think. God, and I, was I was just thinking, I was literally just thinking, given what you said about small talk and yeah. stuff like that, that part of the job right, must be yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's my books about autism, but not in a... Yeah, like, they're like, yeah, she she doesn't really pay attention to me anymore as a sexual being. You're like, yep, okay, yeah, great. Not even that. It was just like, you. the men came in and said the same stuff over and over again. Like, they wanted this sort of uh, back and forth of, 
I don't, I, I never normally come to strip clubs, like everyone says that. I never normally come to these places. You're too nice to be doing this. Um, I can't get a dance with you because you look like my daughter. And then the same guy takes you for a dance five minutes later. Ugh. It was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. It'd be better. I got your two middle class to be doing this. That was an Edinburgh Uni professor. Got a dance with him five minutes later. Um, like middle class men are the most, because they have a perception that working class women are coarse that they say the worst things to them so there was this like restaurant sommelier came in one time uh and was all like posh and stuff and it was i think it was like a wednesday night so we were just watching a documentary on channel five a lot of it is sitting around watching telly and your nurse's costume or whatever and then um he got ended up getting dragged out by security being like i just want beautiful women to piss on my face What's so wrong with that? <laughs> we were like, get out. Yeah. I've got like five million stories like that. Well, I mean, which would be in my forthcoming book because I, I was having this discussion somewhere with somebody <laughs> recently. No, no, it's part of, you know, hype anything you need to hype. But I mean, oh. one thing I, I thought, right, and this is this is classic male arrogance here, is I'm gonna put my head in in, in the mind of a stripper. And I think a lot of middle class <laughs> or progressive blokes think that you know, saying those things, you're too good for this, or maintaining eye contact with them and not looking at their body. If I'm a stripper, I just want a bloke to just be a basic bloke and let, yes. me, do, let me do my job. Give me the money. Give me, yeah, just out there, have a dance, get an erection, get a bit excited, and then <laughs> just fuck off. You know, like, because this whole thing of, like, a couple of my pals, like, I went in there, but the thing is, I was like, you know, I showed interest in her. I was like, she just wants to turn over as many dances as possible. Yeah. So you, you chatting, you're actually getting in the way of the whole fucking reason she's there. Yeah, it's that's that we call them time wasters, the ones yeah. that would just sit and chat and chat. Um, uh, that was like easily the worst part of it was talking to the men and people think it's like doing lap dances, but it's not. well, I'll, I'll tell you a weird thing: how many mm. men lick the air when they're getting a lap dance? Lick the air. Yeah, and you're like, can you not see yourself doing this? There's, oh. Yeah, so it really... Um... Do you know a weird thing? Just on the men doing weird licking stuff, do you know that apparently Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy Kyle has got a weird OCD where he licks the back of his mobile phone? It's one of the fucking creepy... No, but I used to work heard. at um, ITV uh, briefly as a temp when I lived in Manchester, and he was in the same building, and he just had, like, um, I left. He was very yellow. With very tight eyes. We had a discussion, which I feel uh, at comedians giving lectures. That, by the way, mm. that's going to be out sometime this this autumn, I think. Um, but we we had a discussion uh, about private schools. Now, that is something that you're quite. I think they should be illegal. <laughs> you think they should be illegal, and so I my stance is really weird. Is that where, this is where I'm a bad conservative? Is that I sort of think that they are bad actually and that they do enshrine privilege to, to a ridiculous extent but equally i cannot go flip over to the other side where the state can stop people using money to make their lives better i, I find that i really i can't cross that line because that's what it is isn't it is that people have worked out we've got this money we can make our lives better and and for the, that of our children i just feel like and i know that this is what people on the right say all the time it's the thin end of the wedge but I do sort I, of I, Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. To, I think if I had a kid and I wouldn't have children, but if I did, 
no doubt would I be moving to a certain area to make sure they went to a school that was better than the school I went to. 100%. And I'd want them to go to a grammar school and then I'd make sure I'd do everything I could to get them into Cambridge or Oxford. No doubt. But the problem is, is the disparity between um, our state schools, how awful our state schools are in the UK versus private schools. I've been inside private schools because I've done mm. gigs in them and it's grotesque. The difference is repulsive. Um, I, and the problem is, is so many policymakers and politicians come from that background and put their kids in those schools. So what incentive is there to make state schools better? There's not any incentive there. That's a good point, yeah. Um, well, on that night, I mentioned, and this was a genuine thing, that I'd just paid to do Q-Jump at Legoland, right? And that was like my <laughs> version of private school. And so I, I had reservations about it. But, and this is a really interesting, like, social experiment. So we were at Legoland on Monday and Tuesday this week. Monday, we had the Q-Jump, right? It cost, it was way too expensive for what it was. But we were able to go on quite a lot of rides. I had a momentary guilt when they made the queues merge. I felt a bit ashamed then, because I thought we'd just get on and be led on by some sort of concierge, and I wouldn't even have to make eye contact. Um, but it wasn't like that. And then on the Tuesday, yesterday, we didn't have the Q-Jump. as a fucking nightmare. And that's the problem, right? Is that I've seen the benefit now. This is the problem with all this stuff. Is once yeah. you break, once you break the seal, like I'd imagine in these posh families, they just go, "Oh yes, they turn out a very nice boy at Bedford," and they've seen that. They've seen a young man come out and walk into jobs. Is so I've done. What I mean is, there's a scale that goes right up to private school, but I think Lego Q Jump is somewhere there. First class and in on a on a plane is somewhere. Even speedy boarding. Yeah. Speedy boarding is like the working class equivalent of private school. Yeah. You... <laughs> and never buy speedy boarding because none of it's going to make a difference to when the plane takes off. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and you don't really want to be on an easy jet plane any longer. You know, being on it no. first doesn't seem to be a massive benefit. I get first class trains a lot. And I, what I like to do is I like how surprised they are. I'm common and I'm first class. And then as the ultimate power move, I eat none of the food. And they go, you should, you don't want any, but no, no, no. But do you think that, they'd, see, I got, I have exactly the same thing. I love a first class train. I don't know why. To me, mm. it seems like the absolute bollocks. But I wonder, are they as surprised as you think? Or is that an attitude you take onto the train view? Because I definitely go on there. I'm half expecting, I go through a little play in my mind where they go, tickets please. And I, But they, then they say it to me with a bit of invective. I go, oh, actually, I, I am allowed to be here, mate, so why don't you fuck off? But that, how much of that is in my head? I want to think it's in my head. Um, are you, in terms of the, the this show, was this a new show that you did at Edinburgh? Uh, yeah, I was getting, I basically went up with no material and had to write it day by day because I'm going on tour in January. So it was really, um, really stressful, but worth it just to, because that's the only way it will embarrass me into doing new material. Um, so you, you spoke in an article in The Guardian, you spoke about um, fear, stage fright and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Did you not get that going? I, 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 I periodically get it very badly. What what form does it take for you? Well, the normal feeling that you get that public speaking is frightening mm. Um because I didn't, I really was, just before the pandemic, I felt the most confident I'd ever felt on stage. I could, like, 
have a deaf or a great gig and feel indifferent to both, which I think is the best way. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't know if this is like male comics get excited at this. I never get excited at um, the size of a room or the venue. Um, I'm trying to think what does make me excited in comedy. Oh, I met Martin Lewis. That was cool. Oh, man, money supermarket guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, money's even an expert guy. But like, I don't get excited by the size of of a room. And I, I just think that's the best way to be. Because I remember years ago, Gavin Webster, do you know Gavin Webster? I do, yeah. He was saying, you have to not give a fuck on stage. But you can only really learn that for gigging loads and loads and loads. Um, and I was painfully shy and nervous. I'm sure people would say I wasn't shy. But I've, I got very badly nervous for the first couple of years of doing stand-up. And I was glad that I wasn't like that anymore. And then just the lockdown undid all of that. Um, so it was good going to the fringe and just hammering it with the gigs. I mean, you, what you said there about male comics and size of the room, I, you, I do get a little bit excited about, you mm. know, cue size and stuff I'm like that. I'm not trying even... to be performatively uh, cool, by the way, saying no, that. No, no, no. I, I do know, get I... excited about other stuff. No, no. I, I, I think you're the last person I would think would, would do that. But it's an interesting observation is that I do sometimes, but equally, that excitement can turn into a form of terror at the 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 obligation and the responsibility. So yeah, on Edinburgh, yeah. there was like 250 people. And I, I went on first 20 minutes and I was fine. I thought, God. And it was weird because I hadn't gigged for too long before that. So I was like, this is going all right. And then, um, and then I had like a, a bit of a, just an upset stomach, you know, like I could feel it. I felt a bit nauseous and it wasn't like nerves related. It was just, it was genuinely starting to happen. And then, and then the fucking way I went through the gears up to, it's a Saturday night, it's 250 people. This is their night out. They'd come out of Edinburgh city center. Oh my God, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to just bail on the gig. It's going to be embarrassing. News will get out. People start. <laughs> this is all going on in about 20 yeah. seconds of being on stage. I mean, did you get past that as, as the run went? I'm trying to get past the idea that, like, I have failed you. <laughs> I have failed the audience. Because when you think of how um, something I got really fixated on during lockdown was how effortlessly YouTubers and TikTokers and people who are Instagram famous just put out shite without really questioning it, like... Mm. Or not shite, just, you know, YouTube. I watch I watch more YouTube than I watch telly, to be honest. But um, just long-form YouTube stuff without feeling the pressure to, like, keep having a joke in. And uh, I've been thinking more and more how stand-up is this antiquated thing and it feels like we're so out of step with everything else that's going on because it's the slowest possible way to get famous, isn't it, gigging to... Um, 100 people at a time every night and then being like, why does the world not know about my Oh, yeah, and also the skill set to do that well is really rare. Like the amount of people that are genuinely, yeah. genuinely good at this job, I've always thought, doesn't matter how many people start it, there's hardly anyone gets properly good at it. Um, yeah. and it. And it takes up, and also that that particular ability is not is not really valued on television as much as you'd think. Although I, th I think that there are two routes, right? The one is like those people that are all right stand-ups, but on television, they have something. They have a, a, a fucking joie de vivre. I, can't, I can never say French words. But they have like <laughs> a, they have a, panache, a panache. 
a panache. So that's another French word, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. They go out there and people immediately buy into that. They go, that that's a funny fucker right there. I like that guy. Yeah. Then there's the other route, which is people that are purists. Do you know what I mean? Like, And weirdly, there's a lot of Scottish comics who I would put in that category you know like oh yeah like, kevin bridges is, is the most natural comedian yeah pure you know frankie billy Connolly, and stuff and and yourself you have you have that vibe what is it about about scottish comics where you know like there's a purism and there's also an ability to talk about these gritty things and really get to grips where audiences accept it more from that tone is that something you're conscious of well, I think I, I've always been loath to make, like, I never really fe- thought about Scottishness or felt particularly Scottish coming from an Irish Catholic background until I moved down here and then I had to come up with what my take was on Scottishness all the time. And I was yeah. like, yeah, and I just didn't care about it. But I've realised over the years that I, there's definitely... The common theme in Scottish comedy is uh, there's a sort of bleakness and um, uh, uh, like acknowledgement that a lot of people are mentally ill alcoholics and stuff. Mm. Um, even Kevin's stuff, I didn't like. I gigged with him and I was saying, I love how like dark your work is, but you're saying it in a really light way. I think it was like, uh, all right. But he does say really dark stuff. Like he's got an amazing, um, a really amazing bit about how you, you never see homeless people with cats um, because as soon as like you become homeless, the cat would just leave you. Uh, whereas homeless guys with dogs, the dog's happy because he's like, now we can play outside every day. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> It's such a dark bit of material, but he makes it sound light. I mean, and also I do think regionally right. in the UK, there is certain people from certain areas excel at certain things. So um, comics from the Northeast seem to do surrealism much better for whatever reason, even if they're like, yeah, you, they you, you mentioned Gavin Webster. Gav, yeah, yeah. But he's like, you know, he's a very working class comic, but he'll just mention something really weird in the middle of a yeah, sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Seymour, Seymour Mace as well. Seymour Mace, you know, I mean, you could say that, you know, you could put it down at Vic and Bob, but I think they were coming from like a, a tradition somewhere. You you think that, I think London, I think um, London, comics from London tend to do well with being exasperated about stuff. Like, fucking you know, it's unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Fern, thanks so much for appearing on What Most People Think. Um, you, your tour that starts early next year, is that is that on sale now? It is, yeah. I think the first date is in January in Salford at the Lowry. So quite a lot. I mean, you've got quite a lot of dates in Scotland, quite in it, quite a few in England as well. Is it a nice sort of... Mainly in England, I've got... Um, well, Scotland's smaller also. I've got maybe four Scottish dates. I think it's like Glasgow, Edinburgh, Inverness, Aberdeen. Yeah. Um, yeah. The problem with Scotland is like people get on at me and say, why don't you come up here? You put in a date and it sells like absolute shit. <laughs> and then you realise that yeah. the person that emailed you saying, why wouldn't you do a date here was the only person in Aberdeen that actually wanted to yeah. see you. I've had that before um, for Swansea, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And much as Swansea's lovely, I'm not going to go there at a gig to 10 people. Well, I'm, I'm not bitching again and regular listeners will know, but Leicester... I have tried with you, Lester. It's a dysfunctional relationship. 
I don't know what I did. I feel like I did something, Leicester, that I've forgotten <laughs> about. Like I took a shit on their main monument or something. But it is always a slog for me in Leicester. It doesn't matter which venue. Do you know what's weird for me? Anytime I tour around Cambridge, it sells out and then there's just dead silence. <laughs> and then people say that they liked it and they come back every yeah. time. No, that's because Cambridge is so middle class. They They just haven't got to the point where they can allow feelings to escape from their faces and they just can't do I, it i can't work them out but i keep going back because it sells well i think maybe you know as we finish this podcast maybe cambridge is the metaphor for your your relationship with comedy and the fringe is that is that they've given you just enough encouragement but equally they're being very middle class about the way that they like you yeah <laughs> <laughs> listen fern maybe. brady thanks so much for coming on what most people think Thanks for having me. Okay, there it was, the chat with Fern Brady. Brilliant comic. I mean, obviously the book isn't coming out for a while, but do keep your eyes down for that. Uh, she will be on tour doing loads of dates in England and has discussed a few dates uh, in Scotland. So uh, she's just just excellent stand-up comedian and I recommend her highly. Okay, uh, we've got a couple of letters here, so let's get into that. So last week I was talking about the problem with men not building and fixing things and I, I solicited um, you know, people to kind of get in touch and tell me what things that they were building. Well, bloody off. The, well, blow, blow me down if blokes don't want to show off about stuff that they've built. I've had a few letters here, but I picked out uh, a couple. Obviously, I can't show photos. I mean, you boys would love me to show the photos. You're so proud. And I love how proud you are. Bless. Um... Um, oh, I haven't got a name for this one. Hang on. So there was somebody called Lewis McGuff. <laughs> Come on, mate. Is that a real name? Lewis, uh, you know, I know that if it is your real name, I'm now playing into a very problematic area of, of a certain kind of bullying you've had your whole life. But Jesus Christ, Lewis McGuff. I mean, is that racist because you're Scottish? But Lewis has built a uh, a brilliant a brilliant shed at the bottom of his garden with a with an art studio in it. I mean, that is incredible, isn't it? You're, you are crossing the alpha fucking beta beta streams there on a level i've oh no lewis mcguff built the um sorry lewis now i can see i can see photos of lewis mcguff here and he built a a, a barbecue out of an old wheelbarrow i'm looking at it, he's done a great job there i mean what a genius thing to do um obviously it's portable it look, i mean it looks like a you know, it's got a design that looks like a barbecue. This is fucking genius. And I can see, just look at what you're barbecuing there. Good, I like to see it. I would say that those are, you know, they're the kind of burgers that, that a good, solid, working-class person would have. <laughs> yeah, you've got some chicken on there. Is that spatchcock chicken? I mean, maybe you are middle-class. I don't know. And there's some. There's quite a lot of veggie skewers there. Probably too many for my liking. I mean, the meat to sweet corn slash skewer ratio i think is you know unacceptably high but in terms of a, a job you've absolutely smashed that lewis uh, and then we've got james james uh kingman i think now james is the one with the art shed and he's shown me oh my god how how much do you love all this he's shown me when it was rubble there's photos at various stages i would just imagine your wife or your partner james just going well you know he's enjoying it <laughs> maybe too much i mean he hasn't looked me in the eyes since he started the project i think the project is his life now uh so that's great i mean keep those coming in i think this is a fun thing it's good to know that there are blokes out there building stuff but i've i'm not necessarily going to tell uh my wife this i'm going to because i'm shit at building stuff so i'm going to carry on with the idea 
that, uh, the, the, yeah, no men are doing this, babe. You know, no men are doing this. Oh, we've got something else. We've got uh, something I built. This is from Andy Pierce. Andy, I mean, this is a more modest effort, Andy, but, you know, well done for playing the game. Um, so he says his old man was quite handy. Uh, and he, so he, Andy got in his head to build his dog some cover from the rain because it was a bit rainy. So he grabbed some old bits of wood left in the garage by the previous owners, broke up an old firewood pallet. I mean, that is fucking man points right there. Yeah, and knocked up the attached structure, and he's calling it a lean-to. I said, oh, sorry, it looks like it looked like a table. It's kind, it is, it, well, it looks like a table on the piss, Andy. I hope you don't mind that, but I can absolutely see what you've done there. Do you know what it looks like? It looks like a sort of smoking area for dogs. You know those kind of like sheltered areas now that they make treat smokers like the unvaccinated. But well done. Keep, keep these coming in. I think it's fun, and I think it's inspiring to know that there are some men out there that are still... You know, still pulling out the fucking drills and building stuff themselves. And I am definitely not going to do that. But it's nice to live vicariously. So that is nearly the end of the show. Just a couple of things to do before we uh, sign off here. We've got a few new patrons, a few more patrons. We've got Sam Fraser. Sam Fraser, you just sound like a nice boyfriend, don't you, Sam? Just Sam Fraser. There will always be a girl that would just remember of no. Her, nice, her first boyfriend, Sam Fraser, he treated me nicely, did Sam Fraser. He was he was great for cuddles, which is not really where you want to be as a bloke. But, you know, that, you, everyone's got to have their own USP. Sam, he just, you know, he wore, he wore lovely pullovers and he was very respectful. But, uh, you know, I ended up uh, shacking up with an international drug trafficker because I wanted some excitement. Uh, Mark Holland, Mark Holland, he beat Mark Holland. He sounds like that annoying fucking kid at school that was just good at every sport. Um, Mark Holland you know he's good at running he's good at football and then oh lo and behold he's good at fucking ping pong as well um, so fuck you Mark Holland but thank you for signing up to the Patreon and then this sometimes happens and it's worth saying to all the patrons is that uh, if you notice that you're not getting any messages from me check your account because brilliantly Patreon frequently just sort of stop you know people being patrons without telling them and it's uh it's great great for business really so everyone if you're listening to this podcast and you if you want to be a patron sign up if you were a patron and suddenly thought hang on i'm not getting fuck all for this it may well be because uh patron have just bumped you out so just go back and check your account and sign up Uh, at the end of every show i do do five star review i do five star reviews myself yeah absolutely smashed it love the bloke i mean jesus i'd have sex with him i do have sex with him um so this is uh, iTunes. So uh, thank you for all the five-star reviews you leave, wherever you leave them. The only ones I can really access are on iTunes. So I will read out all the five-star ones. This is from Matt Davis. Old Matty Davis, 1984. Uh, already my youngest listener, probably. Uh, loves the work. Don't change the theme tune. An absolute classic. I know what you mean, Matt. I, I, I just, I do like the lockdown. I don't know, it makes it sound a bit dangerous, but, you know, we, we will see. Um, this is Roy Burdett. Uh, the brilliant Jeff Norcott has been a shining light against the woke. Uh, talking common sense with his excellently titled What Most People Think. Never fa- never fails to hit the nail on the head. Keep up the good work. Well, you know, like I say, I'm not, you know, the, I, I'm willing to listen to all people. I'm not, like, I'm not anti-woke as an ideology, but I just find that a hell of a lot of the stuff that comes out that is woke just doesn't make a lot of sense for me. And, and it, a lot of it comes from the thing of, well, if you want the left to seem like an attractive prospect for the average person on the street in Britain then some of the more batshit ends of debate need to tone down a bit. Um, this is from Hell's Teeth. I began to listen to Matt, uh, Jeff's podcast a bit late at the Matt Ford episode, but have been picking my way uh, through selected older ones and find this a brilliant podcast. His genuine likability comes across in the guests he attracts. 
uh, with from a spectrum of opinions and his sharp-witted take on issues both po- political and cultural is both refreshing and concise. Although, if you're Northern like me, you think he sounds like a Cockney. Well, you know, I don't want to correct you Northerners, but uh, I'm, I'm South Londoners, I'm not a Cockney. I know you lot think everywhere from fucking Essex down to uh, fucking Crawley is, is a Cockney or whatever, but that's not how it is, and I, I appreciate it if you would actually just respect my culture. Um... This is Sheer Hulk. Uh, Jeff, I continue to think this podcast is great and listen regularly. Loved your take on the trans issues in the latest episode, i.e. that there are real-world issues that need addressing, but it's nothing to do with piling on J.K. Rowling. Uh, You also referred some time ago to your sole appearance on Mock the Week, so I watched it. The Brexit jokes were funny. Respect. Uh, Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it was interesting, wasn't it? When I did that episode, I did... uh, I did three Brexit jokes, and I don't even mention this before, but I never thought all of them would be in the edit. And then so, and I'm not saying anyone tried to stitch me up here, but um, but then what it made me look like, because you record for like two and a half hours for a panel show, so you wouldn't think all that stuff would be in there. So I don't know if the show was trying to go, look, we can do anti-Brexit, you know, we can do uh, pro-Brexit jokes or whatever, but what it did make me look like was a bit obsessed. <laughs> It looked like I kept going back and going, yeah, he's a fucking another one for you. When in reality, those jokes happened over a much longer period of time. So, you know, Brexit. Remember that, Brexit? You know, uh, what was that about the shortages? Anyway, look, I can't talk about that. I've got to go. Uh, yeah, I've got to crack on. I'd love to talk about uh, the lorry driver shortages, but must crack on. See you next week. Okay.